and welcome to the Dice Screaming Podcast. Ah, yes, once again, we assail your ears with sonic attack damage. Oh, yeah, say <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> so, uh, hey, uh, yeah, we're... It's time to get back in the saddle, because... We have quite a show for you today. Today is Appendix N Movie Night. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be reviewing three movies, Willow, Dragonheart, and Ladyhawk. And we've been talking about this for a while, so yeah, we're going to touch back on Ladyhawk. We kind of had this uh, kind of a two-parter from the Rutger Hauer Power Hour. Yes, some note of you know, some note of it was made during the Rutger Hauer Power Hour, so we will not be devoting quite as much time to Lady Hawk per se as we do to the others. But you know, it, it's a wonderful trilogy, and as I had mentioned in a our past podcast, uh, this one we don't really have a lot uh, to characterize as downsides for these movies. It, it's going to be uh, chiefly uh, remembering and homaging them. Uh, as one of those golden moments where fantasy movies were getting things right. Yeah, and it, you know, the middle to late 80s was kind of a explosion of fantasy movies after kind of the schlockfest that we had in the early 80s after Conan the Barbarian or even Precursors. Yeah, Milius's success uh, with Conan had basically caused everybody to start trying to ride the coattails. And Excalibur, so, we're going to throw that one in Oh, there. well, yeah, that was a great, like the best of the Arthurian movies. But so many people tried to ride the coattails, like, ah, yeah, this is what the kids like. And they cranked out a lot of crap. But then, a little further down the road, uh, the there was kind of a common acknowledgement that this was family-friendly potential uh, film entertainment and that it could reach a wider audience uh, and so you started to see this blossoming of terrific fantasy movies with the correct level of investment and you know large name or reasonably large name actors and terrific directors you know they, they didn't have to like send in the chumps and let's just crank this puppy out get this pig in a can mm-hmm. uh, no This is a celebration of that golden period where sometimes Hollywood got it right. Boy, and there is a thing, you know, we we still wish for today. Like a little more. I think think they're doing all right right now. I mean, the the superhero (laughs) genre and all that is is still alive and well and pumping out uh, some quality product. We just went and seen The Batman, and uh, I was quite impressed. I like like that. But uh, anyway, I know a lot of. Uh, frankly, stodgy gamers who do not hand out compliments easily, who were very pleased by the recent Batman, uh, that they went in feeling great apprehension because, you know, uh oh, it's Sparkle Bat. Yeah. And I was, I'm among those people, okay? I'm just going to own it. I'll wear it on my sleeve, okay? I, I had my deep suspicions because I, I do get tired of like, Franchise reboot, franchise reboot, franchise reboot. But I trust the opinions of people actually far tougher, you know, who are far tougher judges than myself. And they all came away going, wow, um, there is there is something there. You really got to you got to suspend your disbelief for a minute and go watch that dude. So I'm going to take the word. I'm going to see that soon. Colin Farrell. Just totally, uh, as the penguin man, it's just really, I would not have, yeah, I, 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 I was like, what, 
what's going on here. But yeah, I liked it. So anyway, uh, you can expect no less from the podcast that brings you. Oh no, uh, I'm afraid we're we are but the spavined warhorses of oh, gaming podcasting. The old swayback Maru. Yeah. Ugh. Oh man, you know, just retired out to pasture. Yeah, yeah that's us. <laughs> we should be put out to pasture. One bag leg. And- <laughs> One lame wolf later. We're lucky they didn't just shoot us. Yeah. They shoot canoes, don't they? I, I've heard that. <laughs> so, yeah, so, all right, well, we're going to start off with a review. We promised uh, good books at Ralph's Saurian Games that gave us uh, some nice swag here. The Interface Red Magazine. Now, we talked uh, back in the day that Interface was a little fanzine that was put out. Pretty slick little product back Oh, back in the 90s for the Cyberpunk uh, original and the 2.0, our 2020 reboot. Yeah, Interface is not a new concept, but it, it's extremely pleasing to see it returning to relevance. Yeah, okay. but they use the the old name that still resonates with a lot of the old Cyberpunk uh, crowd. You know, that, that's important. And as much as uh, I love my Shadowrun, Interface uh, brings back the days of just all the goodness of those uh, days where you could just insert any idea you had and this interface uh, red magazine looks like this is volume one uh, I like the cover it's got a uh, uh, probably a techie or neck net runner you don't really know putting on uh, eyeliner of all things and uh, yeah that's a very uh, you know the eyes and the cyber hand the yeah, melding of clearly up- like major cybernetic adjustments to both the hand, neck, uh, arm, uh, and skull. So, I mean, tough to say which class, because, hey, a lot of characters in cyberpunk get cybered up. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I love the cover. It's uh, very, uh, it draws the eye. And, uh... Yeah, and it, it does have that haunting, reminiscent notion there that uh, it's not just like being a combat rock monster all the time. There's also the social aspect. Yep. That the the world of Night City, uh, you know, your look, your intensity, your popularity, the perception people have of you, those things are tangible and matter too. And so here's like this snapshot uh, in an excellent illustration of a guy who is clearly cybered up, cybered yeah, up enough runner, to be getting ready really dangerous. And yet they're getting ready for a night on the town because... You know, that's the thing. You've got to put on your show. And that's from Mr. Mike Pond Smith himself that it is about the image that you put forward very much. Like that is as powerful in its way as the cannons you've got in the back trunk of the car. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, this one starts out pretty good with an article about the old guns never die. And of course, my favorite self picture of the solo firing a city master. Oh, yeah. Yeah, take that. Uh, But this is basically a conversion set where you can make adjustments to previous cyberpunk rules to make better use of, you know, familiar weapons in the new cyberpunk red editions. So I highly approve. Yeah, because we're still... Not everybody is good, like, at instinctively making these conversions. So providing material for, like, more recent players to make conversions for old material... Way big thank you. The M1911A1 is still being used today. That's <laughs> over 100 years old. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tells you a little something that uh, the future, you know, there, there's a connection to the past there. But uh, the next section of this, uh, writing and design by Cody Pondsmith, uh, Red Chrome Cargo, a cyberpunk red screen sheet mini module. Yeah, this is a small little run uh, that you can insert in a normal game or if it's just kind of an off night and you're just looking for a diversion or you need a side quest to kind of break up the monotony. Here you go. And of course, it's got the graph. <laughs> the graph three, all anything. Yeah. The, dr uh, the, the drones. Um. <laughs> That's a, a utilitarian construction drone. It can lift, it can haul, it can move. Uh, but yeah, your, your oh, combat cargo. zone takes place in a cargo area. So yeah. the accoutrements and items found around the place that you will, that will and the obstacles are all relevant to the location. Now, you know, this includes uh, a very hasty description uh, with game master notes. Uh, you know, this is just like a three page little mini mod that then provides you also with the hammerhead cargo train mini map. Uh, and the contents and relative position of items within these cargo cars. Uh, I gotta say, uh, little quick zip for your buck. That is a fun little screen sheet that, you know, hey, here's a quick thing for DMs to slap together. This is not major campaign altering material either. So it can be inserted by the stealthy game master into pretty much any cyberpunk campaign that is currently ongoing. Yeah, with a, with a good, uh, nicely made screen sheet you can just print out or uh, copy whatever you want. And then they have the uh, single shot pack, which is a bunch of pre-gens and net archetypes. So or you can net architectures. Yeah, architecture, excuse me, that you can use in your game. And it's, it covers the main characters out of the starter set, plus adds the media and cop and corporate are complete with background details, equipment and gear, ready to get you fully started. So you got your corp or exec type with their two uh, um, team members. They got a, comes with a solo and a uh, net runner. So, oh, and they, the lawman, the lawman cop. Uh, but <laughs> net architecture, starter drone rig, con apt security. Yeah, this is uh, stuff you're going to be Oasis using a lot. Security. So that these are very handy to have. You know, it's kind of almost falls into ubiquitous, like you would already know this or have this available, but if you didn't, here you go. Yeah, the level of net security uh, that would be available to specific business types, yep. uh, thereby you know, enabling DMs to very quickly on the fly, hey, let's unload the standard typical pack of data protection for this kind of facility. Yeah, a small core facility. Net architecture for clinic security. Yep, a clinic. Yep, oh. you, places that edge runners will be busting into or running a foul of. Yeah, these or you know, how to hack a small drone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the last one, net, net architecture vault uh, for oh. those who want to keep their secrets and treasures safe. This is the higher level, uh, not to be approached lightly. Yeah, you're you're. Class one just started this day, Netrunner. Really, you might want to, like, we may have to hire out for this one. <laughs> and then they got a section on cyber chairs, which, uh, you know, can uh, characters with uh, disabilities and all of that can get around in Night City and around. 
around town and also uh, soup up with weapons. So Yeah, the Mercurius and Spider Cyber Chairs. Uh, those, pretty cool. Uh, along with the section later on that covers a handful of new drone archetypes yeah. uh, for personal and home protection, which, hey, you know, let me just take one second here. I, I want to very quickly mm-hmm. make a nod here. Uh, as they so often do at Cyberpunk, uh, you know, in keeping with Mike Pondsmith's original vision, the descriptive text as they describe corporate products is fantastic. I mean, it, it has that wonderful, inherently sarcastic whiff of, you know, homaging corporate advertising culture. And you know that they're not doing it, uh, you know, straight faced here. They're not like, yeah, we totally, you know, like, this is totally what we feel about this. No, they hijack the corporate advertising sensibilities and then mock it subtly throughout the text here. And this is one of my favorite aspects of cyberpunk mm-hmm. is that it has never forgotten its roots. There's a dystopian corporate anarchy that has basically transformed the future into a war zone for the rest of humanity uh, where everybody struggles to survive every day. Uh, <laughs> not an unfamiliar sounding scenario, right. but uh, cyberpunk has stayed true to that wonderful tongue-in-cheek mockery of corporate advertising culture ever since and they've never let it go and this edition of interface hopefully the first of many is absolutely true to that vision so you'll, yeah, you'll find those to this is outstanding and just absolutely and then they go into elf lines online which is their kind of World of Warcraft MMO that you, everybody plays at this point in time, and they provide rules for you to play a character and run it through an extended period of campaigns, similar to playing WoW. So your edge runners would, you know, after a heavy run, would get back and play <laughs> Elf Lines online, and you know, hey my God, you know, Night Elf uh, Sorcerers really, uh, you know, kicking it this day. You know, let's let's go back up. We need some more DPS on this, and. Uh, you yeah. need your tank. I love the meta on this. Like yeah. They just it, This is Inception worthy because, you know, now you're playing an MMORPG during your, like, tabletop RPG. <laughs> like, how many layers deeper can we go? Can we have the MMORPG characters, uh, while they're in-game, play a TTRPG? <laughs> so that the, the, TTRPG, or the TTRPG players playing the MMORPG inside their TTRPG are now playing another TTRPG. Yeah. So, and, whoa. I feel the universe on the edge of implosion here. I had a little trouble wrapping my head around it, but yeah, they come up they, with, this is the biggest expansion pack in this uh, edition. Yeah. It really uh, takes up a lot of space and it gives you a lot of razor, razor claw caverns is the main adventuring environment it's just a sample one but gives you plenty of places to play so you're basically playing a dungeons and dragons type scenario inside cyberpunk so wrap your mind around that one (laughs) and then it ends up with uh some drones besides the graph they've got the panther drone and oh yeah these all about drones your amazing animatronic friends (laughs) yeah there you go and just like oh man (laughs) Zirafa's Young Engineer's Corner. 
<laughs> yep, and from toys to all the way up to major security drones. Oh yeah, the Savannah Eagle and Savannah Panther. You know, for the airborne drone that like rests on the rooftop and does not engage; it just observes until hostiles enter. Uh, and the Savannah Panther, which is you know more like the four-legged uh, household drone that like sits quietly in a corner, or like it, you've got two of them parked at the front steps of the yard. And, uh, they they just look like a nice piece of fancy corporate architecture until they suddenly take off hunting after something. And out of their back comes auto shotguns. Yeah, uh, not cool. <laughs> wow, I probably should have made sure that the new gardener had proper ID before he entered Whoops. the property. <laughs> yeah. Like the third one we lost this month. Call trauma team. <laughs> uh, but the wonderfully tongue-in-cheek funny, my first graph three. Oh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, I, I did want to... This is one of the highlights yeah. to me of oh, were... their tongue-in-cheek humor. Uh, you might be too young to build, maintain, and pilot a real industrial drone, or drone, but with my first Graph 3, you can prepare for your future as an engineer and have hours of fun. <laughs> this three-foot-tall version of the Zirafa Graph 3 is made from durable space-age plastics and will respond to your every command. Need to convince your parents? Just tell them how assembling and operating my first Graph 3 will help prepare you for a job as an engineer or industrial drone pilot better than any of the other educational toys on the market. Remember, if it isn't my first Graph 3 from Concept Mechanics, break it and demand your parents buy you the real thing. <laughs> Ouch. And that makes with the kibble advertisements. Uh, yeah, it makes uh, inner <laughs> cyberpunk red so much fun. And yeah. this is about... It's all win. It's all is gravy, a, baby. Uh, a hefty... 65 page uh, slim back. It's a little slick product there. Um, yeah, a little uh, just review. We give it a pretty much a, a good thumbs up. There, there's always something you can use. We're always those guys that always look at the bright side of it. This is well worth your money because it comes with not only just module and some new uh, pre-gens that are revamped for the full rules. So if you started with the uh, Cyberpunk Red Jumpstart set, uh, you got the full vote, uh, value going here, and as well as, you know, old guns don't die and some new drones. And a scenario pack, and also some weird stuff uh, with the elf lines online. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty good value, and uh, the weakest part is the elf lines. Yeah. We, we, we both think I, I only call it weak because... Uh, it's a little outside of the scope of newly arriving cyberpunk DMs, okay? Going mm -hmm. meta on your campaign, that requires some experience, okay? that These meta concepts are tougher to introduce and manage in a like concurrently running campaign than other concepts. I'm not saying it's impossible, uh, but the newly arriving GM may not find that as useful as the other material. Uh, there are other things, of course, that we highlighted in this edition of Interface that are of much more value, especially to new DMs. Right, and it may not, it may be overlooked, or just a uh, you can mine it for just a few color, or flavorful expressions. Experience game masters. Oh man, if you want to get trippy and go for a big laugh, you know, yeah, definitely do the the meta narrative, which it, it honestly it's reminiscent of like Tiny Tina's. D&D campaign in the middle yeah, of your border borderlands. <laughs> I love it. I, I approve over our overall, but you know, it has less value to the newly arriving player DM than some of the other materials. Yeah, it's a bit esoteric, and that's why it belongs, I think, 
properly in interface red it's just kind of a side thing and you know it's something if you want to use it it's there you don't you know yeah you're not having to buy it but you get a lot of other things along with your value for that so yeah uh, if you're uh, in the cyberpunk red and you're looking for some new uh, stuff and rules hey plenty of stuff here for you to dig into and so highly recommend all right so that's gonna put that aside we yeah bless you once again mike pond smith uh, you are just a bunch of cool stuff in the gaming world, a connection to our roots. So, yeah, let's, uh, with that, uh, I guess it's time to jump into our main topic. I, you've been waiting for all this time, so Appendix N, movie night shall begin. But we're throwing a twist in this one. We're going to roll a die and see which movie we talk about. Roll a D6, roll a D6. Okay, yeah, there we got five. All right, we're going to talk about Lady Hawk. All right, great. Excellent. All right, so Lady Hawk's going to be the first one up, and of course, this is with uh, Matthew Broderick and Rutger Hauer, the, the lady that we can't remember the name of, but oh, <laughs> she was in there. Uh, yeah, great cast on this one. Uh, originally, Rutger Hauer was going to be the bishop, he was going to be the villain in this one, but uh, yeah, they, they decided that they were going to go a little different, and this movie is definitely a fantasy thing. Um, it's not heavy in magic, swords, and sorcery, although it does have a lot of swords. And it has the Great Frisian, which brought this breed back into the mainstream because such a noble-looking steed that's so stoic and yet so handsome. Yeah, it is, is to that region of uh, Holland that uh, Mr. Power retired and was heavily vested in, you know, the... Uh, advertising and you know care and expansion yeah. of Frisians are known to be very uh agreeable and easygoing but also very strong and oh immensely and also stubborn once they have this uh made their once their path has been made known to them very hard it takes an experienced writer because they can get very stubborn on that they want to do something oh let me throw in a fast lowdown on the plot of lady hawk uh, matthew broderick then far younger, uh, plays an imprisoned rogue. Um, you know, he is a pickpocket and thief who, you know, in his tattered rags, uh, escapes from prison. Uh, and he winds up quite by accident intersecting with what at least seems to be a questing knight or mercenary uh, who honestly, to some degree, just takes pity on him. Well, yeah, he needs him to break in. Yeah, he needs the services of a rogue. Uh, and this pathetic example um, promises to be of use. <laughs> yeah, he escapes from a prison by going down the hole. The mouse went down the hole. <laughs> uh, so he has usefulness to this person who seems so distant and so tormented. And he, in his position as like the assistant, observes the strange going on, going on. Michelle uh, Piper, that, that he travels effectively with two different people, a mounted knight who travels with a hawk and a noble woman uh, who travels with an enormous wolf. Uh, and they're never together. And as it unravels, they have been the victim of a curse their love was forbidden and they have been cursed so that they might never actually be together uh, each of them transforming respectively uh, 
from night to day uh, into either uh, you know, Rutger Hauer as the wolf, uh, while the, the woman and Michelle Pfeiffer as the, the hawk. The hawk. Yes. Thus, the name of the movie, Lady Hawk. Yep, Philippe Gaston, the mouse. <laughs> Inveterate. Pickpocket and scoundrel. Just this guy just cannot keep his hands out of the purses. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, so, a little whiff of the kender there. Yeah, you know, and also uh, John Wood as the Bishop of Aquilia. Of course, these wonderfully two. villainous. Yeah, and then uh, this movie, as we said, was one of Rutger, our favorites from Rutger Howard, that double crossbow. Who didn't love that? And his bastard sword and Frisian mount. Definitely a dark paladin or uh, an off-colored uh, hero. You know, cavalier or out for vengeance. Yeah, just completely absumed. And, of course, uh, the movie uh, reaches its climax by that they are both cursed to be apart forever. Wolf during the night and Hawk during the day. And they can only, during the briefest of moments, ever see each other at the parting of the dawn or the setting of the sun. Yep, sunset or sunrise, they have like just mere, perhaps a minute at most, where they both intersect and are haunted constantly by what is denied them. And Leo McKern plays Father Imperius, the besotted. <laughs> yes, a besotted priest, priest uh, who is foolish enough to break with. Yeah, uh, his orders and marry them anyway. Yeah, he married them and then he was cast out of the order. Now and he uh, oversees it and they have the plan of Rutger Hauer's character, Captain Etienne. Etienne Navarre. Etienne in Navarre is to slay, get, he was going to slay the bishop and then uh, he's going to have the father murder the hawk while she's in there. So uh, and he, of course, is presumably going to die after killing the priest to the bishop, the evil bishop that cursed him in such ways. But uh, they find yeah. out there is a way to break the curse. Indeed. And, uh, and is there the, is the magnificent climax of the film, the, the conflict, the accusations, the, uh, the final fight, uh, not just against, you know, muscle, but also against guile and treachery. Uh, well worth it. This, this was quality entertainment for its time. It's beautifully shot. Uh, yeah, and it's it's quite it's terse, but it's also bittersweet at points. Yeah, and, there isn't a lot of wasted effort in this movie. This was directorially better than I think uh, a lot of the period pieces that were done at the time. I, I, I think if you were to actually criticize anything. Well, it's Richard Donner. I mean, this yeah. is, I mean, he's one of the greats and underrated, in my opinion, on his uh, fantasy work. And uh, like, especially with Superman, you know, people yeah. remember him from that. But that very first Superman, I still say, stands to this day as a testament of his ability. Yeah, Richard Donner was premium directorial quality. And he did not disappoint here. Okay, this was not, a, in keeping with our theme, this is a classic example of one of the moments where the 80s got it right, where they put the time, the effort, the money, the directorial skill, and the acting talent into one pot, and when they brewed up the final potion, it was perfect. It was exactly what we were looking for. I went to see this multiple times in theaters because I was I was enchanted. I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. I don't even mind that it's got a rock background theme, which I've riffed on my hatred 
of rock background themes in fantasy movies before. This was the exception, and that deserves being noted. Yeah, and they came about the same time as Princess Bride for me on the, on in that uh, kind of penumbra of the area where I was at in my career, so my life. And, uh, it was one of those that I could pop in the VHS and just watch over and over. Yeah. In the background while painting miniatures or prepping for a game. It was always Never. the... Yeah, or if it came on TNT or on cable, I never turned turn it. But all right, so that's our first one down, and we're going to take a quick break and come back with the rest. So stick around and hope you enjoy. We're back after the break. Thanks for waiting around. Okay, so we're going to get back into it. We just covered Lady Hawk, and now we're going to dig into what's our next movie? Oh, the dice have spoken, and it's Dragonheart. Oh, Dragonheart. All so right. We're moving out of uh, like synchrony here. Okay, uh, they're they're not in any order according to the time of their making. Dragonheart was the uh, last or the most recently made film. This was uh, Dennis Quaid and Sean Connery as Draco the Dragon. Uh, in 1996, so that that's quite a departure from the 80s golden zone, but it it definitely made a splash at the time it came out. It was an awful lot of fun. So we, we really wanted to include it as one of the fantasy movies where they, they got it right. Swords, sorcery, uh, ancient magic uh, and you know heroism against a foul and terrible evil I, well yeah here you go it. this is a movie that pretty much hits the trope of dragon slaying as opposed to the movie on dragon slayer dragon hearted takes that kind of idea and turns it upside down where this is the last dragon and here is a knight who rather disillusioned and a bit broken by his past. Well, if you remember the very beginning of the movie, uh, like just to, to give a bit away here, because these are old movies and like we're not really worried about spoilering on right. people. Um, he was a, Dennis Quaid plays a knight who was in the service Sir of the Bo. old king. And in the service of the old king, tragically, he was the king's son's instructor in swordsmanship and in the old ways of honor. Now, uh, he had great hopes that the son would turn out to be less tyrannical and cruel than his father, but alas, that was not to be so. Uh, well, obviously, the peasants finally revolt because they have been abused to such a terrible degree, and of all things, during the revolt, the son is horribly injured. So... Uh, the king's wife, and well, they, I believe the yeah, he's a Saxon prince, and uh, his mother is a Celtic of the old ways. So they go to a cave where a dragon can be found, and they swear up and down that like this will Prince Ian in yeah, yeah this kid is going to grow to be a better man than his father, and will respect the old ways. Alas, it was not to be. Uh, kid just grows up to be as much if not worse of an asshole than his uh, tyrannical king father and Mr. Quaid playing uh, Sir, Sir Bowen, Bowen leaves he just departs having given up all hope after having you know tried to defend people and to curtail this tyranny 
He goes off and quests to kill dragons. And he's quite successful. Yeah, he's so successful that, you know, (laughs) as we we get early into the movie, he has slain all but one. Yep, and he stalks it to the cave. This This is also a time where CGI was starting to enter the picture. Yeah. Movie making. I mean, it had been around for a couple of years, but this is where it was kind of catching up. And you can see here that the effects... Yeah, they're a little dated, but they still stand up in this movie. It's still pretty good. Sean Connery's voice does a lot to cover up for that effect, and he did a lot of hard work. And there was some puppetry involved with it as well. But they did a lot of hard work to make sure that the emotions of the dragon were clear rather than just perfunctory. As It's a dragon and it's talking. Yeah, look, in so many uh, films where the dragon is the enemy, uh, you see the focus on how terrifying it is uh, and very little conversation or interaction is involved at least in those older films now in this one they had the dragon which had given up a part of its heart to keep that young prince alive and well uh, Sir Bowen is convinced that it is the heart that corrupted the boy not the boy that corrupted the heart yeah Eventually, you know, this last of the dragons and Sir Bowen having fought their way to a standstill make something of a pact that, you know, hey, we can fleece the kingdom of this evil, you know, young monarch uh, by pretending that there are still other dragons out there. We'll go from town to town. You slay me. And then you get to ride off with the gold. <laughs> oh, and the dragon's got nothing better to do with his time. Yep, so they kind of uh, team up to fleece the uh, country bumpkins of a dragon problem that's really not there. But, hey, they get a bunch of uh, gold and loot out of it, so they're doing fine. But then Rizian and his nature, his corrupt nature that has... Uh, Mike well spoke. It corrupted the dragon's gift of a longer life. Has now decided to up the ante, and he begins his castle fully complete off an old Roman fort. So there is some historical context here that Meg's talking about, with more being less of a direct fantasy, like just made of whole cloth. It uses Celtic, Saxon, and Roman lore. Yeah, there was surprising, like, what a wonderful amalgam of historically semi-accuracy. Building off of Roman forts in the previous past because, well, the Romans picked good places to defend. (laughs) They really did. You know, defensible places with near access to water and, like, we've got the high ground and, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the recycling of ideal sites was perfectly normal for the time period. Yep, and... uh, Finally, the scam comes apart and they confront Prince Ian and Draco uh, rescues the folks and especially the uh, young peasant girl, Kara, who wounded the prince in the first place. They take them to Avalon where they take shelter among King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table's tombs. And here, they're, uh, here's another part of Celtic myth that is very heavily laden into the film. And as well, some of the architecture, that, not a whole lot of it, but I want to say that it does, if you look in the backgrounds, there's a lot of the Celtic knotwork and 
majesty uh, tied into a lot of this. So they did a good job in the art direction of this one. I like the backdrop and the sets. I did too. I, I got to hand it to them. Uh, you know, there there was a whiff of authenticity, and it, it shared something with Milius's Conan uh, that I, I feel this is one of the only things Donner didn't quite capture in Lady Hawk. In Lady Hawk, things were very shiny and new. Yeah, it kind of looked like France. You got that. Pit- the, yeah, the names were definitely French, but you didn't really get. It wasn't really set in a, a a locale that was physically you could nail down. In Dragonheart, as in Conan, uh, things looked used and yeah. worn and weathered, uh, and it lent a certain authenticity to. It, it helped your suspension of disbelief, and I highly approve of that in films. Good prop work is essential to a period piece, so I. Loved it. I, I was having a great time, uh, but as you can imagine, you know, terrible climax, climax, climax. Uh, you know, fight, uh, fight, fight, and wow, uh, a magnificent act of self-sacrifice. Yeah, the dragon uh, Draco, is, he's named after the constellation. Appears that uh, his heart has been corrupted by Prince Yance's actions, and he will not be allowed into the Draconian afterlife because. He is dishonored. Yeah, he, his oath. He and, has brought great evil they, upon the land by his what was intended to be an act of generosity and all of that. And, and during their time on in Avalon, Sir Bowen starts to understand that his knightly obligations are not easily cast aside. The Arthurian oath yeah, that he was, was originally given to him. He was consumed by bitterness and anger for a long time. But this, you know, the the events that unfold, uh, have, he cannot sidestep them. Yeah, he finally sort of acknowledges that you know, once a night, forever a night. You yep. really got to come back to your faith, and you know, this time. Yep. So he's going to settle this. One so they storm the castle, and uh, they confront the prince. Storming and, the castle, and Draco gets captured, and uh, he allows himself to be killed, sacrificing himself, and thus severing the tie between him and Prince Ian. And there is a good fight scenes galore. There's lots oh, of yeah. fun and just watching a good old fashioned storming the castle. Oh, the peasant revolt! The peasant revolt too. Electric boogie. Yeah, you, you never get tired. It, <laughs> it does work. And Bowen has to kill the dragon to end this. And uh, finally, uh, Draco provokes him. And uh, Sean Connery's voice uh, is well used in this one. I think that. Uh, even though he's not present in the set, his voice is, well, let's just say it's evocative and it works. It, and when he turns menacing, you really do feel the menace. And uh, in the theaters, when I saw this, I was completely, I mean, the speakers were up real high. And so, yeah, the roar was quite good. And uh, yeah, we'd have better dragons in the future. We would. Oh, sure. Look, the, the abilities of CGI have come a long way since then. Okay. Absolutely fair. Uh, but what you saw was in 1996, you were watching that amalgam period where you were seeing uh, CGI puppetry and you know set design and props uh, all in place, as opposed to the era now where CGI is so overwhelming that you really don't need much of anything else, just a good CGI crew. Mm. Uh, now it's so convenient and so much cheaper to do that it, it's not as impressive technically to me 
as some of those earlier movies where they were trying to integrate multiple techniques at the same time. And Dragonheart was one of those where you were seeing that fusion of CGI and other more traditional special effects in one flick. You were beginning to see what the future was about to hold. Uh, we were very close to that breakthrough where, like, yeah, well, well, we were not too far away from Lord of the Rings. So. Yeah, it was yeah, ninety-six, really close. So yeah, uh, Bowen kills uh, Draco by throwing an axe. He exposes his heart scale and he kills him and then he and Prince's reign is broken and him and Kara get together and they rule the kingdom yeah. as the ascendant star of the dragon watches over a new era of peace and it's narrated and uh, quite well at the end and it kind of fades into you know well we're all the credits we're done and hey great movie and for the time we have to remember that fantasy films were not this good okay and this was one of the better offerings at that time and it also came a little bit after the uh, CGI stuff of Jurassic Park and others that had really pushed it forward. But yeah. this one was one where it was applied to fantasy and showed us what was possible. And this is definitely one of those that it's a period film. And yes, some of the effects can look a little bit dated, but the story stands up. And I think the acting, especially Dennis Quaid, as opposed to Randy Quaid. <laughs> Uh, Dennis Quaid. Hey, Randy he, Quaid is hilarious. He is, but he's gone crazy. So <laughs> he's got brain worms, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but Dennis Quaid is one of those actors that, uh, just like uh, Kurt Douglas back of old, he's one of those B-listers that, you know, yeah, Kurt Douglas... Totally underestimated. Underestimated him. And this one is one where the films were, you know... Like, if I remember right, he was in the remake of Dead on Arrival. Yeah. Uh, and I loved the original Dead on Arrival, and I did not hate the remake. Uh, they, it, I believe it's only really been made once. Uh, I, right. I know and they've ripped on it uh, in, like, I believe it was the movie Crank with Jason Statham. They, they riffed on the notion uh, from DOA, but no. Uh, Mr. Quaid, he does not get all of the applause he deserves. He has no. been a terrific staple, so you can count on him. So now we're just going to turn right to the last one. We don't have to roll a die for this one. Yeah, it's we're Willow. Down to Willow. Yeah, so. Uh, but now we roll the clock back to 1988. Yeah, we're going back. And of course, uh, Warwick Davis. Yeah. The star in this one. And uh, after his. You don't want to call them hobbits? That's fine. Oh, no. The, the little halfling type peoples. Uh, the Peck. The Peck is they're called yeah. in the film. Which is an insult to them. That is not how they perceive Well, yeah, it's a derisive so. term, but that's interesting. But here's a total fantasy world where we get a glimpse of a different era, a different time and a place. And yeah, this one hits all the notes of a typical fantasy campaign. If you didn't know better, you would swear it was somebody's D&D campaign being uh, scripted. So yeah, I, very much so. Lenny and Squiggy as... The most obnoxious picks, brownies I've ever seen. <laughs> I stole the baby. <laughs> oh, uh, Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan. Oh, yeah. Uh, it begins with a baby uh, in a reed basket, little girl floating downstream and landing in a little village of wee folk who are kind hearted farmers uh, and one of them, uh, our, our hero, uh, Willow, played by Warwick Davis, he aspires to apprentice to the village's magician uh, to become a wizard. 
and he doesn't seem to quite have the talent for it. You know, he, he's learned lots of sleight of hand and uh, clever tricks, but he hasn't quite proven himself. But he's just himself. a pig. He's a pig farmer, and him and his wife. Are, and their and house is in danger of being foreclosed on. And, he's you know, trying his best, and you know, he, now they're saddled with a child, and so he has to do the right thing and return it to the big folk. Yeah, he's got and to take it back to the lands of the humans, and that's the decision of his uh, of his tribe. Willow Elfgood, who is trying to do the best, and. They take it in and, well, they give it to the first human that seems to be somewhat trustworthy. Which, unfortunately, is uh, a lot. Then the Val Kilmer, currently in a cage, uh, sentenced to die for desertion yeah. uh, or something of that sort. Uh, the, the full extent of sordid details are never actually explained to us. But he promises that if he is freed from this, this oh, yeah. you know, can uh, uh, from this yeah cage this suspended cage you're like you let him go i will totally take care of this for you yeah. yep so they learn later <laughs> that uh this is a bad decision and uh <laughs> the girl the little baby girl is laura dannon uh, destined to bring the downfall of the evil sorceress queen Pat morda and uh, right out of the pages of the disney sleeping beauty she is every bit as maleficent as uh <clears throat> As Maleficent. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> as uh, the actress who would later take on the role, who expanded upon it in also a Disney franchise. So, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Mad Mardigan uh, finally is uh, Willow Elfgood, finds him and holds him to account. And then they meet. How dare you fail in your duties to care for this child? You got it stolen by pixies. Yeah, yeah well, brownies at this point. Day. Oh, and everybody's disgusted by the brownies. And I'm like, wow, brownies are awful good. But not these guys. No, no, they are chaotic, ridiculous. Huh. Yeah. But um, they are surprisingly fierce for um, tiny people. They are. <laughs> yep, and then uh, General Kale, guy in skull armor, bad guy right up there with Darth Vader, just cleaving his way through everything is Morta's daughter Sorsha yeah and Sorsha yep she starts to uh, she's sent out to retrieve this child and uh, then realizes killing children is not cool well she's having some mixed feelings yeah about this and then uh, she becomes embroiled in the plot against her mother Uh, mostly because uh, little little random brownie magic there with the love dust oh the love dust yes (laughs) Uh, all over Mad Mardikin, who swears eternal love and adoration to Sorsha, who initially really just cannot stand him. Uh, you know, she has his number. I mean, yeah, and is... they find a sorcerer, an enemy of Queen Babmorda, the sorceress, who has now been transformed into a goat. Yes, they 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 find their way to the one person who has great magical knowledge, but is unfortunately trapped in animal form by a Circean-type curse and cannot transmute herself back. Uh, it takes a magic wand to do that, which they then recover. And yep. young Mr. Willow is learning a little bit about the trade of actual wizardry, despite not being a wizard. Um, himself. Yeah, he's trying, but they finally, uh, the uh, General Kale captures uh, Lord Annan and takes back to Queen Bab- her back to Queen Babmorda, where, of course, a ritual is going to be enacted to annihilate the child's soul completely. So they storm the castle, get turned to pigs, and then get transformed back. And then the movie reaches its climax, where Willow confronts 
uh, Queen Babmorda himself and does his disappearing pig trick. And he always was a popular one on the, the little Laura Dan. His, his sleight of his sleight of hand act of all the things, you know, after having attempted to use what few magical resources he had and failing outright, his final trick. He makes the baby disappear. <laughs> and completely... Uh, and you can't detect magic on this one, because there's, like... She's completely gobsmacked by this, like, <laughs> what? How? You... How have you made the child vanish before my eyes? <laughs> Sleight of hand leftovers. Yeah, and he used the uh, little uh, petrifying acorn seeds given to him by his village wizard. Yes. Which he is able to... <clears throat> Demonstrate a saving throw versus petrification. <laughs> yeah, so. you'll get a good example there. But the, the tit for tat, uh, again, uh, the equipment, the surroundings, uh, and the this is a high magic fantasy. Yeah, this like is... All a, kinds of weird crap happens in Willow that is... Turns uh, an entire army gathered against her into pigs. Uh, or the assault on the castle they were holed up in where... You have the battle against trolls and some hydra-like creature mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, yeah, monsters growing out of the moat. Uh, oh boy, yeah. And frankly, Mad Mardigan, who up until that point uh, seemed more like a rogue than a warrior. Okay, not not to say that he was without courage or without ability, but it, it's in the castle scene that you get one of the great epic fights. Uh, him and Kale, yeah, General Kale, just beating each other up. And the armor he's got in this, the hand, the uh, basket-hilted sword that builds right into the gauntlet. Yeah. That, the level of dedication put in here to have real-looking equipment as opposed to everything is brand new and shiny like it just came off the Hollywood prop lot. Nope. Uh, everything here is like slapdash and put together and like leftovers of yesteryear and whatever you could grab at the moment. Uh, to be honest, Mad Martikin has that little whiff of Conan uh, in the sense that, you know, warrior, rogue, con artist, what do I need to be to get through today and get to tomorrow? I will use any weapon, I will pick up any armor, whatever happens to be at hand, that's what I make use of. And I, I think that's part of what made the character have such charm. Uh, well, yeah, this was a George, guy this was a, a Lucas film. This was a Lucasfilm uh, production back in the day, and it uh, kind of flopped. Uh, Ron Howard was the director for this one, and I and really he liked nailed it. it. Yeah, he nailed it. And there's a lot going on in this. It's really a good uh, movie for something other than Lord of the Rings. It, it definitely brings. Uh, the, tone, the tone of high fantasy magic monsters and the coexistence of multiple races living together with different uh, needs and outlooks on life and how they all function. It's really uh, well done and yeah, it flopped at the time because, well, I don't really uh, want to put a put a nail in it, but let's just say that at the time, I think people were uh, more interested in science fiction from Lucas and had a different expectation than this one. They weren't quite ready for this one uh, coming from Lucas. If it had been coming from somebody else, like just Ron Howard produced this or Rob Reiner, I think it would have worked off a little bit better. But that aside, uh, this is a solid movie. Definitely one if you haven't picked it up and this is one to get. So that brings us to our promise for a couple of movies ago, uh, reviews ago. We talked about some movies that were kind of obscure. They've almost disappeared. They haven't made the transition to Blu-ray or 
in some cases have completely disappeared from all but uh, obscure sources. So uh, with Willow, the recent one, of course, it's a Disney Plus Disney Plus, but uh, there's some um, Blu-rays out there still floating around. You can find those. Yeah, this was a movie of like sufficient scale and popularity that it is not inaccessible in the current era. This yeah. is this is a low entry fee cost to acquire that one. Yep, and uh, you know you can uh, Google Play in uh, movies and TV. You can get it from there. Voodoo as well, and of course, always Prime. You can find a few copies of Blu-ray floating around out there. You can get those too. Dragonheart. Uh, obviously, VHS was a big function of this one, and uh, it was put onto a collector's edition DVD. But uh, in 2004 or 2007, one of the two, it was put onto uh, a remastered Blu-ray disc. They completely uh, cleaned up the film, and that's the one you can get. And of course, you can also go on Vudu, Amazon Prime, and uh, get it there to watch. And as well with Lady Hawk, that's where pretty much Lady Hawk resides. There's some uh, DVD collectors sets out there, but uh, nothing that you can commercially get right now. Your best bet is from Voodoo, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. So Yeah, Lady Hawk is a tougher one to find, because yeah, that's, that's the more. oldest of the bunch. Yep. That didn't make the transition. There's a lot of VHS out there, but good luck with uh, keeping your VHS going. But hey, yeah, the last company that they makes don't build those. them like that anymore. No. JVC still, where JV, JVS still works. Oh, and thank goodness. Uh, yeah, having to resort to old mediums to watch films has been one of the weird moments of my life, because I honestly, uh, <laughs> I. I I have been through the multiple transitions of music uh, mediums, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't quite expect film to be subjected to the same thing. Uh, the old mediums tended to still be available for a much longer period of time than with music. So when you had a shift of medium, uh, it didn't mean you had to like transition or you were locked out. Yeah. Uh, film i mean there's enough clout in the film industry that you know, people were still able to access old mediums really easily uh, the death of vcr as an active medium threw me for a little bit of a loop that was an old man moment like holy crap i mean people look at that now that the vcr is basically the victrola of our time yeah <laughs> just looking back going wow this clunky old thing with magnetic tape is how you watched videos. Yeah, so humbling. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, we, we did want to like make sure that this time we told people how to track down movies. Yeah, so split you, second, I can understand why uh, it wasn't that somebody was upset. Oh no, but but, it, but I did feel like I let I, I let you guys down that you know, hey, uh, this one's a little bit of a hard find. You got to search for it. Um, there's a lot of movies that that influenced us. Like, oh, goodness gracious, what was the one with the Ministry soundtrack, the cyberpunk film with the uh, robot? That was Hardwired. Hard- yeah, Hardwired. Yeah, that one's almost impossible to find. You you have to look real hard to find that one because there's so many movies named Hardwired, including some really schlocky ones. So. Now, uh, for and my, I had to go on like a sacred quest. There were two movies, uh, three actually three movies I had to track down that I really enjoyed. One, of course, was the ludicrous schlockfest 
uh, <laughs> uh, blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh, uh, which wonderful comedy, uh, <laughs> total clown shoes. Okay, it just it is a ridiculous fun movie to watch. Uh, number two, I went through hell trying to track down a copy of Lair of the White Worm. Oh uh, yeah, you can still. I mean, that's the yeah, big thing with the streaming release, services. Yeah, you can. One release came out on DVD on that one. They finally yeah, released getting it. your hands on a physical copy of these movies is, is going to be hard. If you want, and I my last one was Tough Guys Don't Dance. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you remember that one? Mm -hmm. I put you through that, man. <laughs> like everybody's dead. It's, it's like I, I believe there were only three of the primary characters were alive at the end of this movie, and it's the old guy and his son out in a boat in the New England fog, pitching bodies into yeah. the water one by one. <laughs> but no, the, the point is, yeah, I totally understand why people would go, you know, some of these movies are really hard to find. And so we will, in future episodes, try to include uh, mediums that people can access them through. Yeah, and most of the time, it's going to be streaming services. Spoiler alert, Amazon Prime. There you go. That needs must when the devil drives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quite literally. So yeah, if you case. haven't if you haven't seen these movies in a while, you know this is a good time to pick it up if uh, you're looking for something to watch, or if you haven't seen it, well, you're in for a treat. Even with all the spoilers, we tried to keep it pur purposely vague. There's some twists and turns that'll catch you on guard. Oh, plenty uh, and uh, left undiscussed, but so much worth the viewing. Yeah, Dragonheart. Uh, Probably these movies is the lightest touched among them. I think that uh, Willow, for my money, is my favorite. But Lady Hawk stands tall among them all. So that one's uh, more rests on the shoulders of Rutger Hauer, Michelle Piper, and uh, Matthew Broderick. That was a good trio. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick a favorite here. Yeah, these are three is. movies that like I have nothing but good memories. And I, I came out of the, the theater every single time going, Whoa, that was great! Yeah, Dragonheart gets the... Uh, Pastiche, like, oh, happy ending, roll credits. Sure. Huh. But you know what? We all deserve it every once yeah. in a while. And a good story does deserve a good Pretty ending. happy endings all. These are just fun movies, uh, good for the whole family. Very little in there that is super objectionable, uh, unless you're dealing with very, very young children. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Our time's running out, so it's short. So we're going to bid you adieu. Until next time, may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.